All right, it is great to see all of you wonderful folks this morning. Good morning and welcome to New Life Church. Welcome online, those of you who are watching online. Thank you for doing that. Uh, Wow, last week was a really good weekend. Last Sunday, our Fall Family Fun Day. Very exciting time. Great fellowship with everyone. Uh, A few folks walked away with some uh, awards and uh, trophies, uh, accolades for the best chili, the best pies, the best cakes, the best Rice Krispie treats, the best costumes, uh, but um, really you guys are the best church overall, and, uh, and so uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to be able to stand before you today and bring, and bring the word. Let me invite you to open up the New Testament to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This has been our foundational text for this series that we've been in, and we're going to be um, bringing it to a close today, it's called Centered and Sound, and um, we're looking at uh, two of our final doctrinal statements as, as, at New Life Church, and, um, and so um, we just wanted to um, take some time over these last few weeks to travel through the scriptures and travel through some of our beliefs and dust some things off and reconnect with why we believe what we believe, especially in a world and a time that we live in, which is where we draw our inspiration and guidance from here in 2 Timothy 3. Let's take a look at that. Paul writing to Timothy, he said, You should know this, Timothy, in the last days, that there will be very, they will, there will be very difficult times. And then jump over to chapter 4, verse 1. He says, or excuse me, verse 3. He says, A time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will not follow, or excuse me, they will follow. I can't read today. It says, The time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. They will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord, but work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. We're going to carry on in reading. Verse 6, he says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And then verse 18. Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Will you pray with me today? Lord, we thank you so much for the inspiration of the Scriptures, your Word that's breathed directly by you, inspired by you. And today we pray and ask, O Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand, lives that can be built and shaped and strengthened by your Word. And help me, O Lord, fill my mouth and my heart with your Word and anoint this today in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement can say amen. Amen. 
Listen to this quote. Ponder how valuable your soul must be for Satan to tirelessly pursue it. And the king of glory to lay down his own life for it. I've seen that quote over and over again on social media. It's one of the good points that comes out of that sometimes. And I thought, that's a good quote. I'm going to use that one of these days. And I'd forget about it and move on. But it kept coming back up. And different people would, at different times would share it. But think about it. Think about that. I recently uh, was honored and privileged to conduct a graveside funeral service for someone a little over a week ago. And some of you might know, know her. She's not a member here, never was, but her family was, Teresa Holder Barnwell. Her family, her mom and dad was Wendell and Sybil Holder. Uh, you, remember, you remember them. They had passed away several years ago, but their daughter Teresa passed away recently, and she had a battle with leukemia for nearly a year. She called me, um, and they lived out of town, and she called and said, I, I, I had performed her dad's funeral, and she said, I want you to do mine when the time comes. And um, not having talked to her for a while, I was taken aback by that, like, what, you planning real early here? What's going on? And she began to tell me what was going on. And, and, um, and we had conversed a couple of times over the last couple of months before she passed. And um, she, she told, uh, in, in, the, in the, um, my officiating, they had sent me a few things that they had asked if I would make sure I would read. And a couple of those things were some favorite Bible verses of hers. Another was a, was a note from her, from her journal and But one of the final things she asked me to do and said to me was, I want you to make sure you give the invitation at the end for people who don't know you, who don't know Christ, to come to know Christ. She said, I want all my family, all my friends and people I loved and were, that knew me, I want to see them again in heaven. I want them to be able to rejoice with me together there. And so I want to make sure that my, one of my final acts on earth it may be through my death, but you would give that invitation. So I did. I gave that invitation. It's a private uh, graveside service, but there were probably over 100 people there and uh, that knew her, that were part of her life. You know, final words have a lot of meaning. A lot of meaning. This letter that Paul wrote to Timothy was perhaps, scholars believe it was his last letter that he wrote. His last final words written. And he wrote it to Timothy, who was a pastor and influenced and a whole lot of people for the gospel. And I feel like the spirit of Paul's last letter here is to remain faithful. No matter what you do, Timothy, you make sure you remain faithful and do all you can to inspire those who hear you and that associate with you to remain faithful to the end to remain faithful all the way to the end, to the time of either your death or to the time of the Lord's coming again. Remain faithful. He said, no, no matter how difficult it's going to be, he said, I'm not going to pull any punches with you. Life's going to get challenging. <clears throat> it's going to be dark. There's going to be a lot of confusion. There's going to be a lot of chaos. There's going to be a lot of things going on. And he said, no matter what, 
I believe in the spirit of his final words were, hey, make sure you remain faithful to the end. You got to admire people who remain faithful all the way through. Doesn't mean we won't experience our highs and lows, our ups and downs, or any of that. We won't have our bad moments or our bad days. Those are gonna those are gonna come along with life. But uh, but at the end and at the beginning of each day, may it be found in us that we get back up, and that we point our face towards the Lord, that we look up to Him from where our help comes from, and that we make it our aim in our heart today. I'm going to point my life in the direction God that You have. For me, I might have not got it all right yesterday. I might, have not, I might have failed a few times last week, and I might have slipped here and there, but I want you to understand that today I'm headed in your direction. I'm going to be faithful, Lord, with this day. You've got to admire people. You've got you to you look up to people who can be faithful through life's difficulties, through life's challenges, and not turn backwards, but keep moving forwards. And I believe that's the spirit and the anthem here that Paul has written to Timothy in his final words, remain faithful to the end. Well, two of our, our last two final statements we're going to look at are the doctrines of heaven and hell, exciting, and the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus. All right, let's look at the statement we have for heaven and hell. It's, here's how it reads. After living on earth, we will all be judged by God. Believers will enter heaven as the eternal dwelling place with God. Unbelievers will enter hell where they will be eternally with the devil and the fallen angels. Heaven and hell are both places of eternal existence. I want to build a little foundation here, so go with me through the scriptures. Matthew 25 and verse 31. The words are written uh, by Matthew as he recorded Jesus saying this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered in His presence and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and He will place the sheep at His right hand, the goats at His left. Verse 34, And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Verse 41. And the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Now there is a distinction. There is a distinction of who and where all souls will go for eternity. All right? Unfortunately... Sadly, we will not all go to the same place. All right? He separates. There is a distinction. We must know that. Scripture teaches that. Sheep, in this reference, would be the believers. Goats would represent the unbelievers. Follow with me to the book of Romans, to the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 6, verse 23. One that's quoted a lot from different times. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So the payment, the wage, for an unbeliever who lives wandering off the path of uprightness, missing the mark of aiming their life toward Christ, is death. But the free gift of eternal life 
is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. There's a distinction. Follow with me. Chapter 10, verse 9. Paul writes, he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you were made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you were saved. As the Scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right? So believers are the saved ones, eternal life with God. Unbelievers are the not saved ones, eternal life with the devil and the demons. And everyone and anyone, though, here's the thing, everyone and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The distinction that we have here The understanding that we have here is that God offers salvation to everyone and anyone. So that's you, that's me, that's those you live with, that's those you are strangers to, that's everyone on this planet, all right? They can hear and have been given the opportunity to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, everyone. And anyone. I'm so glad that God doesn't say you have to be a certain age. Doesn't say you have to look a certain way. He doesn't say you have to make a certain amount of money. He doesn't say you have to uh, lack a certain amount of money. He doesn't say you have to live in a certain place. Doesn't say any of those things. There are no restrictions. Because Jesus made it possible for everyone and anyone to come into the knowledge, the saving knowledge of the Lord. And those who accept Him, those who put their faith in Him, everyone who is in that category, eternal life. Eternal life. Now here's the problem. Not everyone accepts the love of God. Not everyone accepts the free gift of God, which is eternal life, found only in Jesus Christ. For many different reasons. Lots of different reasons. You... People continue to remain agnostic. Some people continue to remain atheistic. Some people remain hard in their hearts. Some people are prideful and this never will ask for help. They're, whatever the case may be, um, there are people who just don't accept. And the final words that I was given and, and asked if I would give that invitation, um, man, someone asked you that, those stick out to you. Those final words stick out to you. Um, I have a grandfather on my dad's side who passed away 23 years ago this November. Um, I lived in Memphis at the time of his passing, and he was in the hospital before he passed. And um, I went to visit him a couple of times. And I didn't know where he stood in faith and salvation. I really didn't know where where his mind and his heart were, were. But the couple of times I visited him, I got the courage up to ask him. Because I wasn't close to him. I didn't spend a lot of time with him growing up. So I didn't know if he would get mad at me and tell me to leave. Or, you know, I didn't want to, like, end that time I had. But I finally got the courage up to just ask him, hey, are you right with God? And he assured me that he was right with God. That he had put his faith in Christ. 
And I was given the opportunity to co-officiate with a close cousin of mine uh, at his funeral. And we were both able to testify that we both knew that he had given his life to the Lord. But you just never know. That's the thing about life is none of us know when we're going to die. None of us know when we're going to die. I know when we're young, we think, man, I'm going to live forever. I'm invincible. I can go in and do anything, go anywhere. When I was young, man, I was so adventurous. Stupid. <laughs> I would jump off the peaks of houses to pretend I was a stuntman. I don't know how in the world I didn't break my body in half. But I would watch these stuntmen on TV and I thought, I could do that. I'm not giving anybody any ideas here, moms and dads. So, if, But that's what I, that's what, and I would climb up to a first story house, one story home, get on the peak over the front door where it, where it, where it made a V or an A, and I would, I would pretend I was a stuntman and I would jump off that house. And I would hit just in the right way and roll and then pop right up. Now, I'm nearly 48. I was bending down yesterday in the yard to do some things. And my middle child was helping me, and, and I was, you know, kind of squatting down. I used to play catcher as well for baseball for many years. And anyways, uh, I, I was like, I got to get up. I can't do this. Anymore. I can't sit. I can't squat no more like that. And my knees are hurting. I'm only 48 years old. My knees were, I'm thinking, it's probably because I used to jump off roofs and act like an idiot. You know, but by the grace of God, I'm still here. You know, by the grace of God, I'm still here. Um, but no one knows when time will run out. Consider these words in Hebrews chapter 9. I've got it on the Passion Translation version. The writer writes Every human being is appointed to die once and then to face God's judgment. But when we, as believers, die, we will be face-to-face with Christ, the one who experienced death once for all to bear the sins of many. Time runs out for every person. Time runs out for every human being. There is a day that is marked where all of us will die at a given time. It'll happen. Or our second statement we're going to get to in a second, Christ will come back. One of the two are, are guaranteed. They're both guaranteed, it's just the timing of both are unknown. The timing of them are unknown. No one knows when they will die. So why am I telling you all this good news? Why am I like making you so happy about being at church today? Because we need to take time to think about eternity. We need to take time and remember and know that every human being will die at some point. Okay? Now, we don't need to try to do anything to hurry that along, obviously. We don't need to try to do anything to speed that up and be reckless with our lives or anything like that. But also, no one knows when the coming of Christ will take place. And that is our second statement, the second coming of Jesus. We believe... Jesus Christ will physically, visibly, and gloriously return to earth 
for the second time to establish his kingdom. And this will occur at an undisclosed date. Read with me in Matthew 24, verse 3. Jesus is with his disciples, and they come to him privately. And verse 3 tells us this. They said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Verse 30, Jesus said it. At last, that the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of earth and heaven. Verse 36. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Look over with me in Acts chapter 1. The writer of Acts is Luke. Verse 1, he says, In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions to the Holy Spirit. And during the 40 days after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, he appeared to the, to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about, about the kingdom of God. Verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Hey, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore your kingdom, our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Verse 9. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud, where they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. With these two statements, these two doctoral statements, there's a lot more text and scripture you can attach to this. For time, I was not going to go through all of them. But I wanted you to see a couple main points from each one. That just as it is, no man knows when they will die. No man technically knows on the day when Jesus will return. We're given the admonishment to understand, to pay attention to the signs and the seasons and the temperature of the world to kind of gauge all these different things are going to happen, Jesus said in Matthew 24. But there is certainty. Man will die once, Jesus will come back again. All right? Guaranteed. Scripture teaches that. Here's what Paul tells us to the believers in um, Thessalonica. He says this in 1 Thessalonians. He said, to the believers who are in Christ, if you have died when Christ returns, you will rise from the grave. All right, that's the whole part about we don't grieve as the world grieves who have no hope for those who have died. For those who have died and we, that are in Christ, they will rise from their graves and join the Lord. Those who are alive when Christ returns as believers, he said, you will meet the Lord in the air. All right? Then John gets a revelation in the book of Revelation in chapter 20, a vision. He said those who are unbelievers, those whose names, it says, are not written in the book of life, those 
are unbelievers and they will be in the lake of fire. So again, you see a distinction when a person dies and when Christ returns. There's a distinction of who and where we will go. But here's what we need to understand. I want to end today with these two thoughts, these two main thoughts. One is understand God's heart towards humanity. People in the world have a misunderstanding about their Creator for different reasons. But let's look at what Peter says in 2 Peter 3. We're going to hang out here for a minute. You guys with me? All right. 2 Peter 3, God's heart towards humanity. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. Verse 15. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Understand, first of all, God's heart towards humanity is he is patient. He is so patient. Very patient. We can't even try to describe how patient he is. But he is so, so patient with humanity. Because he does not want any person, any human being to be destroyed. He does not want any human being to decline the gift of eternal life that is in Christ Jesus. So he is so patient, giving us time, giving us opportunity. And here he writes, this is also what our beloved brother Paul wrote about, that is from Romans 2, 4. Look at what this says. It'll be on the screen and out of the Passion Translation. It says, Paul wrote, Do the riches of His extraordinary kindness make you take Him for granted and despise Him? Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding He has been to you? Don't mistake God's tolerance for acceptance. Do you realize that all the wealth of His extravagant kindness is meant to just melt your heart and lead you to repentance? Have you ever just been so mean to somebody? Don't tell me if you have, but we probably all have in some capacity. You ever been so mean to somebody where you just, what we would say, you just showed your tail to them? You just, you were so ugly. You were so ugly. You were so mean. You ever been so unkind to somebody and their response back to you either in the moment or a little bit later was kindness? You cracking a cold one open. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's, it's five o'clock somewhere. Somebody said. <laughs> Let me know if it's any good, all right? Will you be kind to me? <laughs> the pastor was so ugly to me in church. <laughs> All I was doing was opening up my cold can of LaCroix water. At least it's not in a brown bag, right? <laughs> it's Coca-Cola. All right, she's going to tell me the truth. Shame the devil. All right. 
But have you ever been so unkind to somebody and you were met with kindness back? Did that not just mesh, throw you for a loop? It just throws you for a loop. Like, why would you be so nice to me when I was so rude to you? God, in His kindness, Paul says, draws us to change our heart. It's His kindness and His goodness. But don't mistake His kindness for tolerance. We can get that very mixed up and think, well, I've been going at it this long. Maybe he's cool with it. Don't mistake God's kindness towards you for his tolerance of how we live. But understand it's his kindness, extraordinary kindness, that draws us to want to repent and change our life and to give our life to him. So not only is God patient, understanding his heart towards humanity, but God is also kind. Remember that. May we all remember that in our daily lives. In our daily lives. But then here's the second one. We need to understand our position. Understand our position. Peter writes in verse 14 of 2 Peter 3. He says, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for all these things to happen, what's he talking about? What he's talking about is is the coming of Christ, the ending of the world as we know it, the establishment of a new kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth. He said, while we're waiting all this to happen, also maybe waiting around whenever it it comes comes time for us to, uh, to die, he says, do this, be found living. I love that. Make sure you're found living. Peaceful lives that are pure, and blameless in his sight. It sounds like Peter took on a little bit of what Paul's spirit and his, his intention was in his last letter, and that is, hey, wherever you are in life, whether the coming of Christ takes place or whether you die, make sure you are found living, being faithful all the way to the very end. All the way. So while you've got time, you're living... Until you die, until Christ comes, make sure you're found remaining faithful to the end. And with that, here's I want to leave you with these three thoughts on remaining faithful to the end. And these are found in another letter of Paul, which is Philippians chapter 3. Paul's in the middle of writing this letter and he is letting them know that as far as natural order of things, natural way of living, he's like, I'm pretty smart. He's like, I was a religious freak. He said, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He said, you know, I was pretty, pretty zealous in what I did. I, I, I mean, I held, uh, I was real close to living perfection. He's like, I, I, I did it well. 
He was a know-it-all, Paul would go on to try to explain. He said, because I count all that as rubbish. He said, none of that even mattered. He said, I thought that's what mattered in life. He said, none of that even mattered. What matters is Jesus. What matters is Christ. What matters is knowing Him. And he said, but but listen to me. He said, I haven't arrived. He said, I haven't. I'm not perfect at this thing. I know I go by Apostle Paul and I've planted a lot of churches. I've founded a lot of churches. God has been gracious and kind to use this life of mine and given me a second chance to do it right for him. And he said, but I'm not perfect at what I do. If you read through the book of Acts and some other epistles, you see Paul had an attitude. Paul got contentious with some folks. He wasn't always right in how he handled everything. And he goes and he says that, I'm not perfect. I've had mistakes. I've let some people down. I didn't do it the right way. I could have handled that differently. And here's what he says, though, moving forward. Here's what I have to do, he says in in verse 13. He says, brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it. Here's what I focus on this one thing. And he says these three thoughts. Forget the past. Look forward to what lies ahead. Press on to reach the prize. The heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Forget the past. Friends, if you and I are going to remain faithful, no matter how difficult these last days of life are, however long we've been given, however long God allows, however long Jesus tarries, however long that is, may we remain faithful. If we're going to remain faithful, we have to live our life to forget the past. And what do I mean by that? Live a life of repentance. Make sure you're living, you and I are found living a life of repentance. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 tells us that whether you are alive or whether you die, make it your aim in life to please the Lord. I know we worry about pleasing people. I know some of us have complexes of pleasing people. But may we make it our aim to please God with our life. To forget the past. Here's the thing. You are not your past. For Paul, for Paul to be successful, for Paul to be fruitful, for Paul to be able to do what he did for the Lord... He had to be able to get to a place where he lived a life of repentance and he was not who he used to be. Paul was changed. Paul was different. And friends, you and I, in Christ Jesus, are changed. We are changed. If he can't change us, if he can't make us new, then no one can. But he can. He can and he will. Forget the past. You are not your past. Second, look forward. Look forward to what? Look forward to what lies ahead. Let's not bury our head in the sands in these last days. Let's not live in fear. Let us not be deceived by the nonsense that exists in this world. Come on, let's not run with every fad and every conspiracy theory and chase after every fable and myth. Let's know our Bibles. Let's read our Bibles. Let's live our Bibles. Let's know what our Bible says. 
Let's, let's hearken to the Lord. Let's draw close to one another. Let's fellowship with one another. Those are timeless truths that have never gone away, that still exist. Those are the kinds of things that help you and I to look forward to what lies ahead. Let's not be robbed of our future by being held hostage by fear and worry and anxiety and stressing and all the other things that can come along with life. Let's look forward to what lies ahead. In other words, live a life of resurrection. Man, live a life of resurrection. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave after he had been in there for four days, he came hopping out of the grave and it said that he was in grave clothes wrapped in them. Wrapped in grave clothes, but alive. Breathing, but wrapped in grave clothes. From head to toe, wrapped like a mummy in grave clothes. But he was alive. What did Jesus tell? Leave him alone. He'll figure it out. Oh, he'll, he'll get his footing one of these days. No, Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. Let's not just be alive, people, walking around like spiritual mummies. But let's be free. Let's be unwrapped. Let's be free to go. Let's be free to be who Jesus has made us to be. The power that lies in the resurrection of Christ is the same power that is alive today in our mortal bodies, the Bible says. That is some power. That is some resurrection. Let's live a resurrected life, brand new, changed, with purpose, with zeal, with some, with some mobility in us. With an understanding, I have a purpose for which I'm called to live. I'm alive for a reason. I'm not called to just wake up, eat, go to work, sleep, wake up, eat, go to work, sleep, wake up, eat, go to work. So I'm not called to be a robot in this world. I'm called to be an expression of the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. I have joy. I have peace. I have love. I have mercy. I have goodness. I have kindness. I have long-suffering in me. I have all the fruits of the Spirit of God in my life. I am called to express the life-giving change of Jesus. And I know how Paul says life is going to be difficult in the last days. Can we just like take that and punt that away? Tell me something good, Paul. He goes, I am telling you something good. I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my race. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which that righteous judge will personally give me, and not just for me, but for anyone who's eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus. Friends, you and I got a prize waiting for us. We got a heavenly prize. Paul said, I press on in his last one. To remain faithful, he said, I press on. I run after, I pursue, I seek eagerly the prize. If you're going to run, run to win, Paul says in Corinthians. If you're going to fight, fight to win. If you're going to do this life, man, do it well. 
You're going to live for Jesus? Stand up for him. If you're going to pray the prayer of faith, then man, go after God with everything in you. Quit letting life and everything in it try to knock you down, keep you down, and suppress you and oppress you from living who you're called to be. But let's be life-giving examples of the power of Jesus Christ in our life. Let's not just focus on trying to get by one day. Let's focus. One day, I'm going to die One day, Jesus is going to come back. And so between now and then, I'm going to get on with it. I'm going to get on with it. And I'm going to press on. I'm going to live a life of regeneration, a life of renewal, and a life of revival. When I, a long time ago, I don't know how old I was, it was before I entered into the ministry full time, I sat down and I had written out this little thought that I think God gave me. I don't know if anything, it helped me be passionate. It was in it's one of my first Bibles. It said that God was going to use me to ignite revival fires all across this country. And I thought, that man, I'm going to travel, man. I'm going to preach the good news. And I'm just going to be an on-fire preacher for the Lord and all this stuff. And Well, that didn't happen. That wasn't God's will. That I didn't understand what that meant. But here's what it did mean. It was enough fuel to light a fire in me. I've been at this thing now for 25 years full time. I take no credit for any of the good. I try to own up to all the bad. And sometimes I just want to hide from a lot of it. here's one thing I want to do. I want to be like Paul. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. I've never been a quitter and I don't want to start now. I've never bowed out and I don't want to start now. No matter how challenging or difficult life gets, I don't want to start now. I want to, I want to cling to that Last final letter, remain faithful. Friends, you and I need to remain faithful. We don't know when our day will come, and we don't know when his day will come or when he returns. But may we be found faithful. And here's the thing. You and I can know for certainty where our souls will spend eternity. That is something you can know today. That is something you can know today. It's not a second guess. It's not a wondering. You can know. You can know for sure where your soul will spend eternity. Then once you know, and maybe you already know, don't waste the life God's given you. Don't squander it. Don't, don't waste it. Don't sit around waiting for somebody to do something for you. Stand up, pray, ask God what he wants you to do. Give your whole heart and life to Jesus. Surrender it all, not just in a prayer. Surrender it all in your life, everything. Because ponder how valuable your soul must be 
for Satan to tirelessly pursue it and the King of glory to lay down his life for it. Will you stand with me today? I want to pray. We're going to declare through this final song some really good things. I want to ask you to bow your head for a moment to pray with me. I'm going to pray a prayer that the prayer of repentance, but also a prayer that it's just a sincere prayer. Whether you're already a believer, maybe you feel far from God today. To yourself, I want you to just pray with me. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. Lord, I need you. I need you to save me. I'm asking you to forgive me. I turn to you and I repent of my ways, oh Lord. I need your help. I want to truly live the life you've given me for you. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Set my mind free. Set my life free. Set me on fire for you. Help me to move forward in my relationship and fulfill the purpose for which you created me. I love you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want to encourage you to take the next step if you're at a place where you need to go beyond where you're at. If you've never been water baptized, we're going to be having water baptisms on Sunday, December the 3rd. And there you go. The instructions are right there. All you have to do is is text the word decided NLC to the number 97,000 and we'll take it from there and follow up with you. There'll be some prompts that'll lead you through and we'll make connection with you. Whether you've been baptized before or not, but if you're in a place where you know, man, I'm at a fresh place with God, a fresh start with the Lord. I want to renew my heart. I want to renew my love. I want to renew what my future has in Him. I would encourage you for that. You can follow the prompts and text that. Decided NLC to 97,000. We're going to close out with this song, and I want to encourage you to sing this song. And then if you at any time would like prayer of any kind during this final song today, myself and a few other leaders will be down front to meet you to pray with you. But let's declare what God has for us. Let's press in with our lives and not be pushed out and pushed aside by what this world is doing. Let's focus on remaining faithful all the way to the end.